Embark on a journey of faith, fellowship and discovery with Vision Tours as you experience Australia's rich Christian heritage firsthand. Visit Christian heritage sites and museums in Sydney and across the Blue Mountains on this 10-day tour. Understand the people and events that shaped the fledgling colony with Outback historian Dr Paul Rowe. Join like-minded people this November with Vision Tours. See tour dates, highlights and inclusions at vision.org.au slash tours. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. On Mondays, we like to check in with the Australian Christian Lobby and update on the latest issues on the political agenda. Martin Isles is Managing Director of the ACL. Martin, welcome back to 2020. G'day, Neil. It's good to be back. Hey, Martin, let's start with the state of Queensland. Some changes to the Anti-Discrimination Act in Queensland and pretty challenging stuff happening in Queensland. Yes. So uh, in terms of background, people in Queensland are probably familiar with some of the PR uh, brand damage that has been done to Christian schools in recent times, which is quite unique, actually. Christian schools have always been much loved uh, and they've always been very popular. And they've always been, well, lately they've been receiving a huge influx of enrolments. People are sending their children to Christian schools, whether or not they are Christians themselves, in record numbers. Uh, People will remember, for example, the furor around the City Point Christian College situation where they had shock horror, a Christian code of conduct on issues of sexuality and gender. And that was outed as some sort of horrifying fact that needed to be exposed. Uh, And there's been a little bit of a pattern of that around the country where some activism is being directed against Christian schools just to do a bit of brand damage. And one of the other things that's going alongside this is uh, proposals for changes in laws to make Christian schools' life a little bit more challenging. And one of the changes, Neil, is the change you've just mentioned, which is that the Queensland government is now looking at changing the law so that Christian schools can't prefer Christian staff. Now, obviously, just as a Christian school is not really Christian if it can't operate according to a code of conduct that is Christian, including on issues of sexuality and gender, because they're such relevant issues today, A Christian school can't be Christian without Christian staff upholding the Christian ethos and modelling the Christian ethos. It just goes without saying. And uh, it's important to note that, uh, you know, you'll hear in the debates that, oh, the Christian schools, they're discriminating in their staff choices. Uh, This has got to stop. Well, there is some uh, quote-unquote discrimination of this variety that makes perfect sense. For example... The very politicians that are passing this law or looking to pass this law, they themselves do this. Their own political parties have the right under anti-discrimination law to choose staff that share their ethos. So they don't have to. Let's say that they're a liberal uh, MP or a liberal government. They don't have to employ Greens members. They're allowed to, quote unquote, discriminate, not to employ Greens members. Because, of course, when you exist to advocate on politics, you have to discriminate on political opinion or else the political party will cease to exist. and You'll be full of all manner of different kinds of ideas and it just doesn't work anymore. So there is a kind of discrimination like that, which is not wrong, which makes perfect sense and which is just part of the diversity of, say, political parties that are out there. And it's the same with religious institutions. Uh, and I noticed that 
the politicians are very happy to cry out that religious institutions or Christian schools are discriminating, but they're very happy to protect their own rights in this regard. And so what's good for the goose is not good for the gander here. Uh, There's nothing unjust going on uh, to have Christian and other religious and other ideologically based institutions in a society is perfectly normal. They're only looking to take away the rights to prefer staff who share their ethos from Christian schools. So this is unjust. It's something that has to be stood against, and the future of Christian schooling in the state of Queensland is at stake. Uh, And so I would encourage people to go to the ACL website, either put the address in your browser or Google it, and there on the homepage will be uh, a link through to this petition that you can sign so that we can start to get some advocacy against these proposed changes. It seems to be, Martin, an incremental attack on Christian schools. Uh, Any insights from you as to who's affected in this? Because some people might have been thinking, and I've heard some arguments around the fact that, well, the school cleaner or the school groundsman doesn't really matter necessarily whether they uh, hold some special uh, Christian foundation uh, to what might shape their their work uh, life. But this seems to include the teaching staff, uh, and there's only a, a really a few ex- sort of exceptions here. Uh, what are your thoughts about who's affected by this sort of change that's proposed for Queensland? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting point you make because the specific legal change that is being proposed, one could argue, oh, look, it's only a slight removal of rights. It's not, it doesn't go all the way. So basically what it does is it says, look, you can only have a Christian staff member or you can only prefer a Christian for a particular role if Christianity is a quote-unquote inherent requirement of the role. So let's say you're employing a chaplain. Is it an inherent requirement in a Christian school that the chaplain be a Christian? It probably is. And so you say, okay, they could still be a Christian. But yeah, as you say, if you're employing a librarian, um, is it necessarily necessary? Uh, is it an inherent requirement that the librarian is a Christian? Oh, there's a bit of a question mark over that. Uh, but then you say, well, what about the maths teacher? Is it an inherent requirement that the maths teacher be a Christian? Well, there's a question mark over that too. And you find that there's a question mark over pretty much every role in the school, except maybe the principal and maybe the study of religion teacher, maybe. But the point is a court is going to decide that. They're putting this general language in the Act and they're saying, oh, we're not taking away your rights. We're just making it more reasonable. But a court is going to decide which staff can and which staff cannot be Christian, which is different from the position right now where the school simply knows that they can prefer Christian staff to uphold their Christian ethos. So it is a kind of, I call it salami tactics, just one slice, you know, just a little bit of a move against Christian schools, but it's a profound and significant move. And it is part of a broader agenda, including a federal agenda, to pretty much take away all the rights that Christian schools enjoy to be Christian. So we've really got to nip this in the bud and, and, and get active on it. And, of course, appreciating the fact that Christian schools are an extension of the Christian church and you water everything down in Christian schools and you give in to the attack that is on Christian schools and before you know it, you've got that right at the doorstep trying to change and bring into these sorts of things uh, what happens in churches. There is a progression, isn't there? 
Oh, yes, absolutely. So uh, it is interesting that they're confining this change to Christian schools. It's literally only the moving of a, a comma or a full stop or, you know, it's a very, very tiny change to to introduce the same uh, uh, reforms in relation to churches, to say, well, actually, churches can't prefer people uh, who identify as Christian. Oh, well, actually, Christian radio stations can't prefer people who identify as Christians. Christian lobby groups can't. You know, it's, it's, it's a very, very small change to make this universal right across all uh, Christian groups. And you make an important point, Neil, about the Christian schools being an extension of the church in a way, because I actually went to a Christian school, and I just reflect on those who were at my Christian school in my year level. And um, I happen to know of several uh, who came from non-Christian families who went through uh, Christian education at a Christian school, uh, and they became Christians as a result of that, as a result of the witness of the teachers, the Christian environment that they were in. Uh, And in fact, two of them are now pastors of churches, and they came from completely non-Christian backgrounds. But the Christian school made the difference. And so when I look at these policy changes, you know, they have very, very real and practical results. And those real and practical results are in opposition to the gospel itself. Uh, and that's, you know, all the more reason to say we've got to stop this. And in one sense here, uh, as I indicated, uh, you might have doubts about the groundsmen or the cleaning staff, but they're all a part of the team as well. And so uh, let's include them in what it takes. Uh, It's uh, all one community, the village raising those students uh, in a Christian environment. Hey, Martin, there's plenty more to talk about with that, but some of this, of course, revolves around all of the ideological things that are happening. There is a new petition that's calling for an inquiry into how to treat children with gender dysphoria. What are your thoughts on developments here? Well, uh, there is a glimmer of uh, light on this issue. I know a lot of people will be really concerned about the whole gender-bending agenda and how that's getting at kids, uh, how that's coming up through the uh, state schooling system in particular, uh, and how that uh, there are gender clinics around Australia transitioning children sort of as young as sort of before their teenage years. Um, And there's something of an awakening taking place uh, on this, the dangers of this issue, which is great. Uh, For example, in the United Kingdom, um, there was a clinic there. It was a globally significant and renowned uh, gender transition clinic called the Tavistock Clinic. Uh, And they were the subject of a high court case because a uh, young woman who was transitioned to become a trans man by that clinic in a way that caused her uh, irreversible damage, irreversible changes, you know, terrible, terrible uh, impact on her life. Uh, you know, she regretted it afterwards and uh, she said, well, the clinic uh, transitioned me when I was too young to know what I was saying and doing, uh, which of course she was. And so it went to the High Court and the High Court put out a decision which really uh, eviscerated the Tavistock Clinic. Uh, it pointed out that they were gender transitioning autistic children at an enormous rate. Uh, autistic children were drastically overrepresented in the numbers and they hadn't done anything about finding out the causes for that or, or guarding against some of the problems there. Uh, the clinic had not been keeping records sufficient to be accountable for what they were doing. Um, they nearly universally affirmed gender dysphoria in every child that came to them. They almost never said to the child, oh, actually, you're, 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 you're just a tomboy. <laughs> you know, you're not actually a boy. No, no, they put them on the puberty blockers and they started the treatment absolutely reckless. Um, and the court also pointed out that it was just it was just extremely unlikely, pretty much impossible, that a child 
would have the ability to consent, to give informed consent to what was being done to them because they just simply couldn't know the full implication on a life of not being able to have children, of all of the complications that come from the physical changes that they do to your body, of the way in which that profoundly affects your whole existence. They just said, well, that's not possible. Now, that Tavistock Clinic, you know, following that case and through some other things, uh, the National Health Service in the UK has actually shut it down, which is really a cause for rejoicing. It was a globally significant clinic doing this work. And now some 1,000 families are considering a class action against uh, that clinic. Uh, and there are also, as a result of that, some precautionary measures coming in in Sweden, Finland, France. They're changing their attitude on this whole gender transitioning of kids thing. And also, however... Uh, that that hasn't filtered down to Australia yet. We're still in Australia transitioning children, children who are not old enough to consent to having a tattoo, uh, children who, you know, a young girl who might come in and she's a tomboy and all of a sudden she's on the puberty blockers, all of a sudden she's on treatments and it's not long before these treatments are such that uh, they cause irreversible damage. They cannot be undone. And so, and I've been contacted by people, and it's awful, it's harrowing. Uh, very often they are genuinely suicidal, uh, where they live with all sorts of pain and bodily dysfunction and will do for the rest of their days because of what adults did to them, because of their childish um, uh, concerns, uh, which are quite normal and part of growing up uh, before they even hit puberty. Um, and the seeds are planted in the school curriculum to talk about gender identity and gender bending. Uh, some schools, for example, in the state of Victoria, can socially transition a child to another gender without parental knowledge or consent. And then the clinics come in and they do their irreversible damage. And I just say it's time it stopped. It really is time it stopped. The Federal Health Department was supposed to do a review into this a couple of years ago under the Morrison government. It was quietly shelved. In the UK, you have a massive revolution taking place in the approach to this issue for good reasons, because of the Tavistock example. In Europe, you have people starting to reconsider. It's time Australia reconsidered, and that's what this petition is all about. There's a petition on the Australian Parliament website to get the attention of the health minister and the government to say things are changing in this area. Children are being harmed. It's time we change what we're doing. It's time we had a review into Australian best practice. Uh, you'll find a link to that petition on the Australian Christian Lobby website. And people can be assured this is absolutely a key part of our lobbying. And it will continue to be a key part of our lobbying and our campaigning until we see change on this issue. I think it is one of the most terrible human rights abuses that's taking place in our time. So acl.org.au to find that link to that parliamentary petition. Hey, let's talk for a few minutes about the Indigenous Voice to Parliament. Uh, you wrote an op-ed piece for The Australian just recently and uh, it caused quite a stir and uh, now you've got a, a whole bunch of people uh, considering you an enemy. Uh, Martin, what are your thoughts about uh, The Voice and how that is a concern and where would a Christian position be on that? Yeah, look, uh, first of all, I just want to make the point that when it comes to the Indigenous voice, I appreciate the intentions of those who support it. Uh, and so I'm not against those intentions. I, I too want the best for uh, our Indigenous brothers and sisters and Indigenous Australians, and I want to see the circumstances in those communities markedly improved. Uh, I just don't think this is the way to do it. I think this is the wrong answer 
uh, to a very real issue. Um, and for those who are sort of not yet in the picture, um, what this is, is it's a plan to change our constitution, the Australian constitution, and to add into it another body. So we already have in the constitution a Senate, a House of Representatives, a High Court, you know, things like this. They want to add in another one, and they call it the Indigenous Voice to Parliament. And it's completely different from anything else there because it's actually a race-based institution. The, only, the, the real qualification to get into that institution to be part of it is your race. So straight away, my antenna goes up and I say, well, hmm, there's wisdom in the fact that one of the distinctions that is expressly obliterated in the kingdom of God is race. And so if we're building earthly kingdoms with these sort of um, redeemable segregations in them, then we're going to run into trouble. And I think that that's true, and history proves that that's true. Um, But, of course, the idea is they're saying, well, we need to come up with ways to close the gap. And there is a gap, and nobody is happy about the fact that there's a gap. And we all want that to change. We want to improve the the situation for Indigenous communities. But here's an interesting observation, Neil. Um, The one place where the gap is not evident is actually politics. Uh, There's 11 parliamentarians, uh, without any Indigenous voice to parliament, it's just happening naturally. There's 11 parliamentarians uh, who have Indigenous identity. Um, There is a minister for Indigenous Australians who sits around what they call the cabinet table where every high-level government decision is made uh, and they represent Indigenous Australians in every decision. There's a multi-multi-billion dollar department for Indigenous Australians. Uh, It's got a whole office block in Canberra. I've seen it. It's got tens of billions to spend across the country and it's doing that. Then there's all these consulting bodies which come in and consult on all the legislation that is uh, put before the parliament. It's always got Indigenous input on that legislation. It's always formal. It's always incorporated. Uh, There is no gap in the political world. And yet the gap, as we think of it, which is the disadvantage uh, in the real world, it persists. And I'm sitting here saying, guys, politics isn't the answer. Uh, If what you're doing isn't working, maybe doing more of it is not the solution. Adding politics and politics and politics and more institutions and more bodies and more dollars, that's not going to solve the problem. Uh, The solutions are actually very practical. Uh, They're probably best led by charities and non-government organisations who spend money better, are less prone to corruption uh, and have a heart for the work that they're doing rather than just targets and dollars. Uh, There's better ways to achieve this in a way that does not irredeemably segregate the country by race. I also happen to know that uh, it's driven by politics in the sense that it won't actually be a body that's just about skin colour. It'll be a body that's about people of a certain skin colour with a certain political view. It's probably going to become more of a woke voice to parliament than an indigenous voice to parliament. That's just the way these things go. You can think of like the Human Rights Commission. They're not so much about human rights, they're more about woke politics. That's how government bodies go. So those are my concerns with this. Uh, I think that there is an institution already that governs for all Australians called the parliament. I think that it's not uh, very well suited to solving some of these disadvantages, and especially as the church, I think we can start thinking about, well, what are some on-the-ground practical answers uh, to provide the help and support that these communities need? That's the real issue, and I happen to know that because I've spent some time actually staying out in the Indigenous communities in remote parts of Australia. I talked to the elders. Uh, I found out an awful lot. I've had a lot to do with Indigenous people for many years, and they always bring to me the practical problems of the community. They say, we need to solve this. We need to fix that. We need to build this thing over here. And I think to myself, well, 
if only we got some on-the-ground on support. The Indigenous voice, I think, is a very dangerous path to go down because of that racial segregation issue within the government. It's the wrong call, uh, and certainly if it comes up as a referendum next year, I won't be voting for it. You're a good voice in the conversation, Martin Isles, and this is a time, isn't it, for Christians to take time to listen to the arguments, to reflect and to be able to discover and found our own Christian ideas about a position here because, you know, while we do have 11 parliamentary representatives at the moment coming from an Indigenous heritage, uh, we all know that that could change in an election. But there's also that other challenge, isn't there, that if you have an Indigenous voice, a particular body, uh, that will need to then justify its own existence, there, I know, are fears that there may well be even a perpetuating of the problems uh, to keep relevant. So uh, you want to solve the problems, not perpetuate those. There are some challenging things. And I'll encourage listeners to connect with the Australian Christian Lobby to keep up with the debate. A time will come. We'll all be casting a vote. Uh, There are some challenging times ahead, and uh, that will be one of them uh, so far as our Christian position on that Indigenous voice to the Parliament. Hey, the Truth of It Live tour is coming up this Friday night for everyone listening around Sydney. Uh, they can't go. It's all sold out, Martin. <laughs> well, that's right for Sydney, Neil. There's a wait list. They can join the wait list. Right. Uh, and who knows, with cancellations and that, we are releasing some wait list places. But yeah, look, it's called Babylon, which is just named after the Babylon of Daniel's day where Daniel was called to live for God in a world that really didn't honour God or acknowledge God and had all sorts of pagan things going on and godless things going on, just like our own. Uh, And really, it's all about living courageously, living boldly for Christ and being effective despite everything that's going on around us. It'll be a great time to renew everyone's courage and hope. But you're right, it's actually Sydney this Saturday night, actually, uh, the 24th of September. It's full, but there will be a live stream. Details on that will be coming out. There are still limited places available in Canberra, uh, in the uh, Great Hall in Parliament House. Uh, and Melbourne is shaping up possibly to be the biggest event we've ever run anywhere. So that'll be very, very exciting. Uh, that's uh, Canberra's the 29th of October, which is a Saturday night. Uh, Melbourne is the uh, 11th of November, which is a Friday night. So uh, that's the plan. It's going to be very exciting. And uh, I'm busy reflecting on what I might say this weekend in Sydney. I'm sure you've been working hard on that. And uh, all this anticipation, uh, people will be expecting pretty good stuff. You always deliver, Martin Isles. So this Saturday night, look out for the live stream. Because wherever you're listening right around Australia, you can still be a part of that event, the live stream, this Saturday night. Check the ACL website for details. Uh, For listeners around Canberra, uh, in the Great Hall at Parliament House, 29th of October, in Melbourne, and that will be in the lead-up to the state election in Victoria, 11th of November, and uh, that's uh, there's still tickets available. Uh, wonderful getting some insights once again. acl.org.au is the website for the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin Isles, always love your updates. Thanks so much for joining us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.